Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. song and communion. I love that song. So good. So good. Um, so this week, a lot coming up this week before we really get the ball rolling. Uh, Thursday, we'll be here together um, for our congregational midweek. So just be aware of that, that that's going on this Thursday. And then Sunday is um, is Easter. We'll be at Cresby Hall. It's going to be fantastic. Um, there was a sign-up list set out. So hopefully uh, you can uh, not only come, but help out and contribute. We have breakfast ahead of time. And so uh, uh, just pay attention to that. But, um, it's always such a great time in Kresge Hall. If you're not sure where Kresge Hall is, you just ask somebody if you haven't been there. But uh, it's really going to be a fantastic weekend uh, this weekend coming up. So, 1 Peter chapter 4. Go Let's jump on in here. Before we do that, let me go ahead and pray for us. I'm turning there. Father, thanks for your word. Please, we ask for eyes uh, to see, Father, to see your perfect truth, uh, the perfect way. Father, help us to not be really bamboozled by Satan in the world, Father. And we want ears to hear, um, ears that can hear your words, Father, that... Um, uh, that we know, God, in your kingdom, we are safe. Uh, there is abundance. There's peace. Father, please uh, let us hear the words you want to speak to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, so let's see. Let's get this thing going here. First Peter. So um, as we've said on a week-to-week basis, my, my hope is that uh, this is something you're reading uh, a couple times a week where you're getting the flow of it. If somebody, what would be really great is if in the fellowship, somebody were to come up and say, hey, what's like, give me the, give me the two minute overview of first Peter, right? What's the flow of it? Are you following it? Because that's one of those things that makes it really beneficial for us to be living and to putting it into practice. Because remember, what we're not trying to do is just gain information. Well, we're not trying all those things. We want this to be written on our hearts. Uh, so as we've gone through First Peter, uh, I'll go ahead and just read some of my own notes of what were these huge themes that have gotten us this far. And one of them is this, praise God. Right? I mean, Peter is absolutely, you can tell, uh, Peter is absolutely um, in love with his king. He's calling us to live in a way that God is glorified. And I, sometimes I think this is one of those, isn't this really easy to kind of like scoot on by and go, oh yeah, praise God, that's great. Except there's no, there's, we can't dig deep enough to know all of the ways that God should be praised in our life. We could keep going. We could spend time day after day after day, and we wouldn't exhaust the list. 
of things that we would go, man, praise God for that. And, and man, this is, you know, so this is huge. The, the other theme that I'm writing down in my notes, we're rescued and not just rescued from the world, but promoted to royalty in the kingdom of God. Right? And again, I want you to hear these words because this truly is the grace of God. Right? There's no one in here that you would say, I should be royalty. I should be. Except Peter writes, you're a royal priesthood. But it shouldn't be that way. He said, I've rescued you. I've promoted you to royalty in the kingdom of God where we're protected, where nothing perishes, nothing fades. You know, there are these pictures that Peter paints of, of like the future of being together in the kingdom of God eternally and nothing perishing and nothing. Could you imagine that? We, I mean, really, to answer that question, we can't imagine it because everything we have perishes and it fades and it wears out and it gets old and creaky and all of those things. And so uh, he paints this picture of, listen, don't, don't panic. Right? So he talks oftentimes about the suffering that will endure just for his name, for being in his kingdom. In, in much of the Christian world, though, when suffering comes, it's really easy to be surprised because we think that's not supposed to happen to us. Well, why are we suffering? Why is that happening? And it's not that it should be a strange thing at all. It's that we follow a king who suffered. Right? That's our king. That's who we're learning from. Live today in the kingdom. He talks about this over again. Beware of how the world is living and make sure that we're living a kingdom lifestyle. And remember over and over again that if we have any questions on how to do this, Jesus showed us how to do that. Peter has a number of sections where he describes how Jesus actually accomplished what he's asking us to do. And that we're equipped through grace to be servants just like Jesus, right? And so as I'm going through that in my mind, it's so helpful for me to be able to take 1 Peter with me throughout the week. And then it becomes kind of like a filter that I can read and I can think through when it comes to relationships, when it comes to family, when it comes to just it, all kinds of different things. So I don't know what your notes look like. I don't know uh, what your kind of flow looks like, but these are mine. And uh, we're going to jump here to 1 Peter 4. I want to start in verse 7, although I covered it a little bit last week. I want to start here. Um, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. So let's go ahead and start reading 1 Peter, 4, uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 7. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. 
To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So we start out here, and, and this is what's uh, really a sim kind of just going through here and just listening for, um, you know, do, do we have ears to hear what Peter's writing here where he says, the end of all things is near, time is short. We don't know how much longer there is, and this isn't, you know, innately meant to just scare us you know, into like, oh my goodness, I better get really like serious about this. It's it's a statement of fact. Like Jesus is coming back and time is short, right? And he's coming back and that's when all of us, that's when everybody will have to give an account. And he says this right here, the end of things are near, so be serious and disciplined for prayer. And just leaving that out there, I think there's like this question that we're meant to ask ourselves is, does this, like, what does my own life look like when it comes to prayer? Does it look like just talking to Jesus, requests, intercessions, right? Having a, a, a dialogue over time through time. I want you to think about what, if, you know, what's the quality of your prayers, okay? And I want you to think of it in terms of relationships you have in the world. So, for instance, if, if our prayer life, if it looks like this, oh God, I constantly, God help me, I don't know what's going on, oh my goodness. It's, could you imagine that being like how you and your friends talk all the time? Could you imagine going up and I see KJ and I'm like, every time I see KJ, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this, you need to help me. You go, wow, man, that's, you're going to need more to this relationship. Right? What's the quality of that prayer time? There isn't a worse enemy for prayer than a mind that won't be quiet. There isn't. Just so one of the things that, that I'm going to ask you to pay attention to as we as we go through this today is I want you to pay attention to what's being said inside your own head. Alright? What's the voice? This is one of those things that I constantly, it's, it's, it's just running in the background in my mind. And then when I stop, I'm going, why am I talking so much in my head? Like, why don't I just be quiet for a second? And, and let me tell you, the voice is like a play-by-play announcer of everything going on. And it's just noisy. And it's, and you know, you're just like, I can't get anything done here. But I certainly am not going to be prepared to be serious about prayer when that's what's going on. And I would imagine that probably all of us in here, we have an aspect of that that goes on probably so constantly that we've stopped paying attention to it. This is probably one of those things. So he says this, be serious to pray. For the end of all things is near. He says this, maintain an intense love for each other, okay? So he's saying, here's a couple things as we get to the end here. Be serious about a couple things. Prayer and love. Love for each other, okay? So this is mutual. Right? It's probably really easy for that, that voice in your head, whatever it's saying, to think, you know, well, man, I wish people loved me better. But see, this verse is that it's mutual, that I love well as well. Right? Sometimes it's really easy to hear it just individualistically and go, oh man, you want to know what? Yeah, people need to get better at that. They don't, they don't love me well. But the point of this is 
that we love well together, that we love each other, he says, intensely. And he says this, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Now hold up a minute here. Do you know what that means? It's probably, I'm just going to tell you, okay, is I thought I did, which is like pretty common. Okay, it's like I thought that sounds great. Love covers over a multitude of sins. So man, I love Brent. You know, I mean, that's great. So all of a sudden, sin has been covered over because of that. Either you know, I've done the loving, loving gesture, or he's done something back. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Just love better. Except, except that's like not what he's writing. Okay, I know we think that's what he's writing, but what he's writing is this: is is. What, what kind of hangs us up is this love covering a multitude of sins. It actually has to do more with us as a group. And when we love well, you want to know what happens? Sin is not even heard of anymore. Okay, so rather than covered up, it's like completely like gotten rid of. Love doesn't just cover up a multitude of sins. When a community comes together to love well the way Jesus is, sin is not heard of again. It's not part of the culture of that community. All right, that may be less satisfying. You may go, I don't know about that. I like the other one. I like the one where I could really like send it out all day and then do some loving things and go, man, I love this. It just covered over a multitude of sins. Okay? Except understand, that's very individualistic. And he's talking about wrapping his arms around a community and saying, well, we love well. It obliterates sin in our community. So just paying attention to that. Maybe it's less satisfying. I think it's more satisfying. I like this idea when all of us is like we're all in this together. So it's not just uh, just individualistically be, be people of prayer, but us as a community of prayer and intense love, right? And so um, here's what he doesn't say, though. And, I, and again, when I put this word up here, there's probably, you know, a couple camps, okay? The voice in your head starts saying things like uh, another sermon's beginning to be preached in your head because you're trying to think of where I'm going with this. Okay. And you're trying to go, uh, you know what? What does he mean by that judge? Yeah. You want to know what? I, I hate people who judge people. And, and you know what? We don't stop long enough to go, man, I, I've heard more judgmentalism from people who hate judgmental people. And here's the reason why. It's not because people are rotten and horrible, although we are, okay? It's because there's a voice in our head that we justify because it's the voice in our head. And it's the idea. It's really easy to place it out there and go, you want to know what's wrong with people? This right here. They're not serious to love. They're serious to judge. I would say this, okay? Let's wrap our arms around our whole community. I would say this is something that all of us collectively have to be able to look at and go, you want to know what? Man, there needs to be some repentance right here. I know we all have our flavor of making... Now again, what I'm not saying is, is that this isn't like empty, like non-judgmentalism from a standpoint. If we make judgments on the Word of God, for sure, that's totally fine. But I'm talking about we, we all have our flavor of like what the judgment is on people. And our flavor seems to be okay oftentimes. 
kind of like we we know. This this is something human beings, okay? So don't get upset. Don't feel like, oh man, he's picking on me or he's saying these things and he must be talking about me. I'm saying this is just it this is like low-hanging fruit for human beings. Is that's one of our and, and so just paying attention to those times. Instead of like being able to love, it's this idea of I've already figured you out and I'm going to treat you accordingly. Have you ever done that before? I have. We have. This is like, hey, come on, we can all be together on this thing. And and again, I do, you know, this this is a tough one. He doesn't say be serious to have an opinion. Like, I, I must have my say. There's nothing wrong with having your opinion, but I just am thinking he's telling us to be serious about loving each other intensely, right? And and, and even that word can kind of go, man, there may be five different definitions of what your definition of love is. Except when you see a dad and his child in the park, right? If all he's doing is like barking and correcting and like demeaning and all of those things, you would go, man, that dad loves his son so well. But we would also understand that part of loving well is being able to give correction. Right? And so it's this idea of what we choose to be really serious about, to mind read. Like, you know. Have you ever? I'm not even asking that question. I already know the answer. We do this. Me and you and us. This would radically, I'm not kidding you, just a little bit of a change in these things would radically change the way we love. And honestly, I think we love pretty well. I really do, man. I mean, do we have to mature? For sure. Absolutely. All of us. And so this isn't coming from a place of, man, this is so, like, we're starting from rock bottom. I'm saying that as we mature, these are always going to be things we have to take account of. And go, man, am I falling back into this idea of, of like, I already know what you're thinking. I know what you're, what the way it's going on in your head. And going, hold up a minute. I really don't. I don't have my certified, like, club membership to Mind Readers of America. I don't have that, okay? And so he didn't say that. Be serious to love. Don't be serious to blame, right? As that person. He doesn't say these things. But he does say this is when we love well. And this really, truly is um, just a, a true city on a hill, right? When a community loves so well that sin is obliterated, right? Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's one of those things where it's not just like you're trying to be more righteous. It's like the byproduct of loving well together, okay? And so this is what he says. Be serious. Be serious to prayer. And he says, here's how love is really going to be expressed. At least he says to these people, he says, be hospitable. Like, open up your home. You know, when you think of people who are amazing, like, some of the people that were most, like, highly esteemed for their hospitality to the early church fathers, the people who were baptized by apostles, like, we have a lot of their writings, and they have, like, a top three oftentimes, and it's Abraham, Rahab, and Lot. And if you go, well, why, why were they hospitable? Those are great things to go back and read. Okay, but you go, hold on, Rahab, hold up. Rahab wasn't good. Rahab wasn't a Jew. Rahab wasn't all these things. And, and, but what we're learning is this is a principle of God's like, what his design for all of us is to be people of, ho- of great hospitality. And he says, don't do it. This is what I love about it. Be hospitable and don't complain. Man, I can't believe Lucas came over to my house for dinner and he took all the leftovers. 
That may be a little superficial. But, you know, it could be one of those things where it's just, again, you know what I love about Peter? It's, he's kind of broad in general because even when you try to dig into, like, are you the complainer or not? There's nobody that can go, I've never complained. It's like we're, we're right here, okay? We're going, oh, man, I get it. Peter, you're teaching us this kingdom way of doing life, and it's a good thing. And it's about loving well as a community, right? And so uh, he says it's expressed in hospitality. Now, here's the thing that, uh, again, that in my view, these are things for us, just as Clemson, uh, South Carolinian, United States of American, you know, you name it, kind of our own culture. What, what keeps us from this? And you add your own things to this, okay? I mean, that's really the part that's going to be important is you have to add your own. Like, just if Jesus were to come and say, Paris, what's keeping you from being this way? Yeah, uh, I put Paris on this because she's like, you are, you know, and she was trying to share the little moon pie with me before church, too. So that wasn't nice at all, you know? Um, but that's the question is, man, what, what keeps us from this? What keeps us from loving so well together? Loving in a way that we're able to speak the truth and hear correction and do all that. But people would go, man, they really love well. Like that's clear and that's obvious what keeps us from this. And there's this word, right? And I, and, and I put this up here. There's pride, okay? Now, here's what I don't like about that word, okay? Is we've kind of like over the years, myself included, we, we, this has almost become like a weaponized word in the church. Right? What do I mean by that? Is, you know, let's say William, it, it, you know, me and William are talking, and I say, you know what, William, your problem is you're prideful. Okay. You know, for a long time, that was kind of how we interacted just in Christianity, was whoever could call the other person prideful first wins. Because the other person's just. They're arguing because they're prideful. Right? Lucas, you're prideful. No, I'm not. See what I'm talking about? <laughs> you you see, what I'm, see what I'm saying? And it becomes this word where, like, I hate that word. I don't like anything about that word. I don't want to talk about that word. I don't want to do any of those things except it's robbed us from this really amazing, beautiful word that we're, like, called to, to live in, which is humility. And, man, that is such a rich word. That, that really is a word that takes the pressure off of all of us, okay? It's humility. Is I don't have to have my own way. I don't have to control. I don't have to always have the right answer. I don't have to fear. And when we kind of weaponize this and we stop wanting to look at it, we forget we're going to miss out on a really beautiful part of following Jesus. But what happens sometimes, that voice in our head is kind of chirping around, will tell us this, is that you don't know what? Christianity can become trying so hard to not be something. Okay, what do I mean by that? Man, there were people that messed up so bad in front of me. And I, we, we got to do everything we can so that doesn't ever happen again. That, that's not an okay way to follow Jesus. That's not an okay way because we just become a people of defensiveness and like, oh, what we do is right if it's not like how it used to be. Okay, that's not an okay thing. That's not our king. We're not following our king. We're following us, okay? And so there may be some ways that some knuckleheads ahead of us had lived out, and it's really embarrassing when you have to go, man, they actually did really, really good at this, but I'm so against 
that I can't ever in humility embrace it, okay? So this is just what keeps us from it is trying so hard. I don't want to be something or someone, okay? That will keep us from it, right? That everyone before me was dumb. That's not a Bible word, except maybe one time, depending on your version, but stupid is in there, okay? I know there's little kids and parents are like, come on, man, okay? But we can have this idea of, Man, you want to know what everyone before me was? Stupid. And so I don't trust them. And I don't value them. Okay, can you see the problem here? When the Bible's telling us the older teach the younger, if the voice in my head is saying, well, everyone that came before me is ridiculously ignorant. Right, you see how all of a sudden then that has kept us from being a community, a, a, a community that loves well and can obliterate sin. Right? And so, again, you don't have to have all of these. You may, maybe, but just like these are things just in our world today that will keep us from it, right? That we try so hard to be authentically me that I stop trying to be like Jesus. Like I found out every single aspect of who I am based on every single test you can take on every website on the World Wide Web. And I'm going to live into that. And it's so easy to forget that Jesus has just become kind of this nebulous guy that I'm not even trying to pay attention to, that I'm not trying to live into him. Right? And so, again, maybe, maybe this can be something. This is, this is proving to be one of the most difficult, difficult, difficult mountains in church anywhere is generational mistrust. I think right here we probably have four generations. I don't know what Rory's generation would be. I don't know what they're calling her generation. I don't think she's Gen Z, but so we have baby boomers, we have Gen X, we have millennials, we have Gen Z, okay? And so what's really great if you're a millennial is you're beginning to like, Find out how it feels for the generation ahead of you to tell you you're just an idiot. See, Gen Z's growing up and go, what's wrong with those millennials? It wasn't that long ago, millennials were saying, and you know what's amazing? I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a history major, I'm not any of those things. I would bet it's always been that way. Always. It's not like something that we've like figured out, but to become this loving The most difficult thing we could do would just be go around and like, what do you deeply, truly like appreciate and love about those not in your generation or my generation? Okay. Or, or are we just driven by, you know, I mean, you, you could kind of go down, you know, baby boomers, like how come nobody works hard anymore? Okay. Gen X is just, you know, people can look at Gen X and go, you know, all they did, they just did what they were told. That's all they did. I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of all that in my spirituality, you know? And, and millennials, man, people can say, you know, how come they're so soft, man? How come they're so soft? Like, why don't they become resilient? Why don't they get it on straight, you know? And, and so I say all that because we can come up with plenty of critical you know, these, this critique and just understand something that's from the world. That's from the world, right? 
Okay? And so if that's how a community in Christ is like looking across at one another, okay, we can't love well. Like that actually is prideful because we're saying that I know better than what God did. And so for God to put like these like generational like differences and viewpoints that are shaped by current events, that are shaped by families, that are shaped by politics, that are shaped by all kinds of things, then God did it wrong. Except I don't think he did. I think God did it so he would be glorified because it's really tough. This is really tough to do. Because each generation is worried that they're going to like abandon a key principle of Jesus Christ if they appreciate anything different from another one. This will keep us from loving that well, okay? And it is. It's just this simple, like, pride. Or we just become preoccupied with fighting the world's battles. This is, man, the world is getting so good at this. The world's getting so good at this of, of like bringing issues in and almost Christianizing them. So we're all like fighting things and go, man. And, and, and then we try our best to like figure out like, oh, it's in the Bible somewhere. Like Jesus has taught us this somewhere. But the truth is, is you can't find it a whole lot because that wasn't a battle Jesus was fighting. I wonder if we would be disappointed with Jesus if he came here. And we would want him to find the cause that we felt was most important. And when he pursued a cause of the kingdom, I wonder if we would be more kind of like, you know, you remember we talk about often like Simon the Zealot, the, ze- the, the Zealots where they're like, no, the, the Savior's going to come and, and they're going to, man, overthrow the Roman Empire. And when Jesus came and he wasn't that, they were so disappointed. Right? I wonder if that would happen today where we want him to enter into our political world and our social world. And he could potentially show up and we're like, but Jesus, why don't you do more sermons on like the politics? Like, why don't you do more sermons on abortion? And why don't you do more sermons on race? And why don't you do more sermons on, on whatever, sexuality and, and gender and all of these different things? Uh, because that's what we expect oftentimes, but that's going to keep us from loving well. If we're preoccupied by fighting the world's battle. Okay. And just in general, isn't this easy to do to stop being a student of Jesus? Like what, what it requires, because you can feel like really overwhelmed when you look at something. You're like, this is really hard because we're a product of this world. We're a product of people around us. Like this is really, really difficult. And the point isn't that we just kind of conform our behavior. But what's going to help us learn this is that we are crazy about Jesus. And we are just all about like reading about who he is and what he did and how he made decisions and how he loved people. And what were those times when he was like, really like, man, I'm going to tell you straight up. This is how it is. And then there were other times where it seems like, why are you letting that guy off the hook? You know, the only way we get to love well is when we begin truly remember what it is to be a student, an apprentice of Jesus. And I want to know everything about how he thinks, not just my opinion of how I think he should think. Okay. And so these are the things that can keep us from being serious about prayer, being serious about loving. But then he goes on here. Okay. He says this. He says, um, be hospitable. And then in verse 10, he says this, based on the gifts each one has received, use it to serve others as God's manager of the very grace of God. Based on the gift each one has received. Okay, here's again what I love about Peter. We want to know what gift is that? Like, it's so easy in church world 
to want to identify what's my gift so I can start using it. Except here's the interesting thing. Oftentimes we want our gift to be the thing that we love to do. But sometimes our gift is the thing that we don't love to do. And we've been given a gift, right? Something you didn't pay for and you didn't earn, okay? And so what do I mean by that? Um, going back all the way back to what we were talking about before, of kind of, we, we do a really good job. We have a lot of resources to like learn who am I? And then sometimes we go, okay, because I know who I am, then God's going to go right along with that and gift me according to who I am. Okay. Except here's the interesting thing. Everything about who I am is introverted. All right. Except, except here's the crazy thing is, is I didn't get to, God, I would have loved for God to go here, man, I, I want to gift you with this ability to go and be more like that, like towards your strength, except God's glorified in weakness. Sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow when it's us, right? But I don't like speaking. That's great. Moses didn't either. See, that's the best part about Moses. Moses is like, I don't want to speak. Oh, you'll speak. And, and if you really try to get out of it, you're going to speak still, but I'm going to bring another person along, and you'll both do this, okay? And so, again, remembering that is, he says, as each you know, based on the gift each one has received, use it how to serve others. It, it doesn't, it's not meant to make us something. And he's not talking about a gift you necessarily use here on Sunday when we're all gathered. It's not like, man, I have the gift of sitting still. It's not that. Okay? It's the idea of as we live our lives, as we love well as a community, all the rest of our week is this idea of God going, I've given you a gift, and you can do this really well, and on your own, you wouldn't do it really well. Okay, so how do you find out what that is? Simply following Jesus. Okay, there's not, you're not, don't take a survey. Okay, don't go, uh, don't go, oh man, what's my gift? I'm going to take this band-made survey to figure this out. You know, I'm really good at it. I'm really good at tang untangling the wires, you know. <laughs> that, that's not it. This is revealed as we surrender ourselves to Jesus. And we begin to see that, you want to know what, there's something that's happening <laughs> That is good, but it's not from me. And he said, use that. Use that to serve others. Use that gift. He doesn't even give us this whole list, okay? But he does say, if you speak, is it one who speaks God's words? If you serve from the strength that God provides. I've done this before where it's like we're supposed to be servants. Jesus was. Matthew 20, verse 28. Like, he came to to be a servant, except, man, I have, I have entered into the service world and it's been completely and entirely based on like my own strength. And then in the end, I'm like, golly, that was so terrible. That was horrible. I, oh my goodness, I'm so wiped out now. I'm so, all these things. And, and what's interesting, the common thought I'll have in my mind is not one time, most likely do I consider God, you can strengthen me, though. Like, you understand my body as a human being. Like, you understand that, right, I need calories, and I need carbohydrates, and I need meat, and I need all these different things, okay? You get it, and you understand my limitations, yet you still strengthen us. Not because we can say, man, I, I really ate well today, so I had more energy. It's the idea of, like, you want to know what I didn't have much, but God gifted me. 
because he knows how I'm built. But use this to serve others. If anyone serves, he goes on. Uh, so it's this grace. He said that, that God has gifted us. And that word gift actually is the same root word as grace. Like we love that, the grace of God. He's like, no, this gift I'm giving you is a grace because it's something that you didn't earn or do particularly well necessarily. So if you want to find out what that is as you follow Jesus, maybe it would be kind of interesting to think of what are the things that you don't particularly do well? What are the things that maybe you're a little bit weak in? What are the things that you struggle a little bit with when it comes to following Jesus? I wonder if he would ever be as bold to say, this is the person I'm going to use in a way that's not like them. But it seems like that's how Jesus does it, right? It seems like that's how he, like, you know, gives out his gifts, okay? And then he goes on, Peter's writing, and he's just, he, essentially this section right here, uh, when we see in verse 12, uh, he, he said, dear friends, don't be surprised when this fire ordeal comes. Again, if you've been here for the past few weeks, at some point you should go, Peter, why do you keep talking about this? Like everything is about when you suffer, how you suffer. You'll suffer. Don't forget you're going to suffer. Don't forget, hey, you know what? You're going to suffer. And Jesus, you know, after a while, you're going, okay, now I get it, okay? Except there's a reason, and, and it can be kind of glance off of us because we aren't a people accustomed to suffering. Right? We aren't a people accustomed to suffering. Right? We, we, we live in relative peace oftentimes. I mean, it doesn't, I'm not saying that bad things don't happen. I'm not saying there's not, there, there isn't suffering. I'm just saying is, is that sometimes we uh, don't, we're, we're not accustomed to most of the world's kind of suffering. Right? The kind of suffering where you're going without and you're not getting enough and you're, you know, not sure if you have shelter and you're not sure if you have food and all these things. He says, listen, don't be surprised when this ordeal comes. You know, again, maybe we should log that into our brains because when it comes, when, when the ordeal comes, when the suffering comes, when the reviling, when the slander, when the gossip, when it comes, going, man, I'm not surprised at this at all. I'm not surprised. Don't be surprised, he says. And, and, he, and he paints this whole picture in beatitude form, okay? Like, you guys know the beatitude, Matthew 5, right? Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed He said, here's one, too. Here's another beatitude. When you suffer, you're blessed. I mean, that, can, can you imagine that conversation? I want, I want just to picture this conversation with a friend, a family member, a neighbor, when things aren't, not even suffering, but maybe just not going well. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe it's like really some hard decisions that have to be made. Maybe some things happening against your will, you know, people are treating us poorly. Is can you imagine not just saying the words, but what it would be like to truly like what happens inside of goes, man, I'm blessed right here. I don't like how it feels, but I'm blessed. I'm blessed by God. We oftentimes think blessings are different. Like if I get a brand new car, I'm blessed. If I get all kinds of neat material things, I'm blessed. Except this is very different. So think about what are those conversations sound like in the world coming from a people, a regenerated people going, I know this is hard and I don't like it, but actually I'm truly blessed because God can be glorified from this. Right. Again, this is like, hey, man, the pressure's off. Don't be surprised. You know, um, 
we are blessed when we suffer, okay? And so that's this verse 12 down to verse 18 right there. He, he's reiterating what he's spoken of time and again. We're going to suffer in the kingdom of God. Suffering has purpose, actually. In the world, there's no purpose. In the kingdom of God, there is because God gets to be glorified for the world. Okay? He says this in verse 19. Those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. And this to me, in my book, in front of me, this was this is what it all culminates in right here. Right? He's telling us these things of prayer and love. And he's saying, don't be surprised when this ordeal comes. Don't be surprised when you're suffering. And he says, but while it's happening, he says something interesting. While it's happening, while doing what's good. Right? That, that's a tough one. While we're suffering, he said, well, while you're suffering and you're doing what's good. Entrust themselves to a faithful creator. Flip just back to your left. Tyler read this earlier in chapter 2. Okay? Um, we see this from Jesus when he was reviled in verse 23. He didn't revile in return. When he was suffering, he didn't threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. How did Jesus express faith? How did Jesus express love for his father? How did he express that? He said, all the things that are happening to me, I don't like it. And they hurt and they're painful. And it's not just the spikes, but it's the words as well. And all the lies they're saying and all the things that people are making up. But God, you want to know what? I don't have to get it. I entrust myself to you as the faithful creator. Right? This allows us to not have to control every circumstance because we go, listen, I entrust you. This is one of the prayers I pray for my children, okay? One of the most difficult parts for me in being a parent is like your kids actually have different, like every day is a little different emotionally. That's really kind of the same with us too, isn't it? But every day, and if you ride the roller coaster of adolescence and teens, and young men and women, and you ride the roller coaster, my faith will be all over the place. But going, here's the deal. I entrust my children to a, to a faithful creator. And you wonder what? I, I don't worry. You, you mean you're not worried that your kids aren't disciples yet? I, the faithful creator, I fully believe my children will be saved in Christ. Because I'm entrusting him to a faithful creator. If it's up to me, it won't happen. And this may be something that's very offensive that I'm even saying that. It's like, you need to be more serious about this. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. That doesn't mean I'm not serious about being a parent. That doesn't mean I'm not serious about teaching my kids. But, but here's what I'm teaching them. I'm teaching them who the faithful creator is that I'm entrusting them to. Okay, and so it's like it's the perfect combination. Is I want my kids to know exactly who this faithful creator is that me and Abby are, are going. We just entrust our kids to you because we love them, but God, you love them more. And so what He's given to us is He said, "Okay, Keith and Abby, I'm going to give you these kids, and they're going to be great and awesome, and you're going to think they're the greatest in the whole wide world. But your goal, you must teach them about me." Okay, and, and again, not trying to undo everything everybody's done in the past. But going, I'm going to teach you about God's grace. I'm going to teach you about his love, his compassion, his faithfulness. 
dare I say it, is discipline. Say, but no, God doesn't discipline. What? God doesn't say that. What? Like, I'm like, wow, hold on a minute. If I'm going to entrust myself to a faithful creator, I'm going to go, your way was really right, and I want it to come through me as a parent and teach my children that way. All of these things, because that's not a bad part of God. Okay, you say, that's not a bad part of God. Right? Saying no, that's not a bad part of God. Right? But it's this idea, and so you've got to take this into your season of life. What does it look like to entrust yourself to the faithful creator? Right? Or is there like this, you know, this, you know, I've got to take control. You know, if I don't take control, I'll never get married. If I don't take control, I'll never make enough money. If I don't take control, instead of going, you want to know what? All I know is you, God, you are perfect and faithful and awesome. And you say you love me and all of my brothers and sisters more than we could ever imagine. And I can trust myself to you. All right. I don't have to do what the world does to be secure. In fact, here's a way is the areas that we try to control, set them off to the side as if they're nothing and follow Jesus intensely. But that's going to get in the way of me finding a spouse. That's going to get in the way of me making money. That, yes, that's what entrusted means. Is that you stop trying for it, okay? And go, I trust you. And you want to know what? God may make you into a gazillionaire, and he may make us all into just paupers. But that's, that doesn't matter. When we've said, I entrust myself to you. And so what you've chosen and where you've guided us is simply for your glory and your kingdom. And there are people that you love dearly that you're putting us in places to reach those people. You're not putting us in places for us to get everything we want. There, there are lost, there's a lost world everywhere, okay? And so entrusting ourselves to a faithful creator. To me, this was the whole ballgame here with this. How do I serve? How am I hospitable? How do we love? Man, I get myself out of the way when I'm entrusting myself and my wife and my family and our church Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC. 